Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here on a warm day in a deserted city of Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the microscope. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on today's programme by Jonathan Walker. Jonathan is the Western Europe head of Marla Aftermarket, a leading international development partner and supplier to the automotive industry, originally from Stuttgart in Germany. Um, Jonathan, welcome. Welcome to today's programme, and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, glad to be with you. It's fantastic having you, Jonathan. Now, the purpose of this podcast, first and foremost, is to sort of get your take on leadership. So what does that word leader actually mean to you, first and foremost? Okay. I mean, leadership, as, as written and as promoted, can mean many, many things. Um, I um, basically strip it down to uh, one's core base principles and values. Now, that sounds quite generic, but um, I always try to be conscious and and practice in terms of um, honesty, transparency, openness and professionalism. And um, of course, um, people is first and foremost when you're considering leadership. But in in essence, it's it's also very much about um, the interest of the business um, in, in terms of a a, a clear output um, and result. Mm. So we've talked a little bit there about um, your own uh, leadership style in a way. So um, what are some of the influences behind that style, uh, would you say, Jonathan? Um, well, influences over my career um, have been pretty much widespread. Um, I've, I've had um, influences in, in many cultures, many continents, spread across um, m- many facets of a business worldwide. So um, the, the, the principles that I, that I talk about are, are pretty much one's own core core principles and, and how you adapt that into a business um, life situation. Um, I mean, there's the, the situations where, um, you know, identifying the customer and the business needs as well as the people that I've, that I've mentioned pre- previously. But but in essence, um, you know, it's like driving your business um, performance with, with excellence and, and taking along the, the people with you. Um, I, I did a, a leadership um, adaptation some years ago, and, and the focus was on very much um, with the hearts and minds um, of the people, um, you know, to differentiate between a, a manager and a leader uh, and, and to bring the heart and the minds, you know, of your team and, and, and of your, your colleagues and peers, you have to be honest, you have to be open, uh, you have to be transparent, you know, but you have to have that, that final end point um, rather than just go round in circles. There has to be um, a focus and an achievement in, in, in my respect. Mm. I can certainly see where you're coming from uh, there, Jonathan. And um, I'm aware that you've been, of course, with uh, Marla um, as a business since uh, 2007. So you've seen, of course, the uh, the 2008 financial crisis. And also, of course, right now we're going through um, a cri- type of crisis again with COVID-19 and the uh, consequences of that and that the impact of that on business. Um, has it been a real learning curve uh, for you working with Marla Group throughout both of those um, periods? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, business, is, it, it comes up and come down. I mean, at the moment, as you, as you allude to, we're, we're in a difficult situation, um, you know, and it's, it's pretty, pretty cyclic in, in business terms. You know, you, you have um, very um, 
good good areas and, and very testing areas, you know. And, and and when you come back to the, the core principles, and you know, especially if I if I revert to today, um, you know, here and now, um, you know, you look at the, the leaders of of the world, how they're um, reacting to this situation, um, and I think again, what, what's important, you know, no matter how bad the news is. Um, you know, applying business and, and, and if you say COVID-19 as, as a correlation, um, you know, you have to communicate, you have to have that regularity, you have to be clear, you have to be concise, you have to be honest again, you know, um, you know, you, you kind of pull the wool over, over people's eyes. You have to be quite um, deliberate, you know, and your approach has to be, you know, poignant to the situation you're in. You know, we, we, we can't give all facts and figures, you know, to, to every part of the audience, you know, it has to be very measured. Um, but, you know, again, it has to be clear and honest, um, you know, and, and what is reality? Um, you know, if you, you try and hide, hide aspects, um, you know, in everyday life and in business, you, you get, you get discovered, then the trust is gone and, and then you're in a, you're in a, you know, a reversed, a reversed state. So, you know, the, the cycles of, of, of Marla through the last, well, 20 odd years that, I, that I've been with Myla, you know, um, do do test you, do mould you. Um, and and again, what I would say is that, that there isn't one defined answer that, that fits every situation. You know, you have to adapt, you have to yield, you, you have to manoeuvre, whether that's, you know, leadership in the UK, whether that's leadership in Korea, China, Japan, wherever you are, uh, you have to consider all of those aspects. I think you're absolutely right in what you're saying there. And um, it's very important that leaders recognise um, that they do have limitations and that when people are looking to them for answers, they're not always going to have the right answer and aren't always going to make um, the best decisions. There will be mistakes that will be made. It's about, of course, learning from those mistakes going forward, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, we we, we can't, you know, put our heads in the sand and think there'll never be mistakes and, and there'll never be things that go wrong. And and again, that, that, that's another aspect that, that I'd, I'd like to, to to put forward is leadership can be great if, if the going's good. You know, if the going's good and, and everything's sweet and, 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 and fine, you know, you can get a textbook out and, and you can you can quote certain certain models and, and, and certain approaches. But when when the going's tough, when it's in a crisis, when it's in a a, a real tight deadline situation, um, that's really when you know. You know the, the real leaders come to, to the forefront and, and how do you prepare for that? It, it's difficult to give an answer, um, you know, based on instinct, based on experience, again, based on values and based on the team around you, that, that's what you, you, you draw upon. Um, and it's a continued, continual fluid situation. I think um, in some leaders, there can almost be a little bit of a fear of that pressure and a fear of times of crisis and a fear of being tested. But I think that's um, something that's really important in the uh, development of a leader. It's important to embrace that pressure because, as you say, I mean, in times of crisis, in times of difficulty, it can very much bring the best out in you and in other people, can't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But but again, um, you know, we're we're in we're in this business um, to succeed. You know, we're in this business to to get results, and, and Marley is, is a very um, much result-driven business. Um, and you, and you you are as a leader just on your on your on your output and, and, and your results. 
Exactly, and um, the pressure to produce as well is something that, um, of course, um, does um, get to uh, leaders. And if you were to give um, advice um, to the next generation of emerging leaders, maybe people who are about to start their first days in leadership roles, what sort of advice would you tell them based upon your experience? Okay, the advice I'd say is um, don't rush things. Um, You know, you will make mistakes. Um, Look and learn from others. Um, we don't all have the answers. You know, it, it is a changing state. Um, it is fluid. Um, no one has the, the exact answer. But I would say, again, revert on your core principles. You know, be transparent, be honest, um, be open. Um, you know, consider people's um, situations, consider the business situations, and, of course, act on fact. Um, okay, it's a quite a, an old slogan, but, you know, be steady, especially if, if, if the young are, you know, anxious, wanting to to, to perform, wanting to um, make an impact. Um, you know, it's very very easy for them to get carried away. And I would say, um, you know, steady steady things, calm things. You know, progressively um, improve. You know, and 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 don't be so um, don't be so focused on getting things getting things right or wrong. But again, I revert back to, um, you know, strive for success. Um, always have an end, an end point um, and, 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 a, and a focus, a clear look at the, what is the output. Um, what do I expect to achieve from this situation? Certainly, it's got to be about the uh, the long term ambition, hasn't it? Rather than the short term gain, and yeah. um, it, that's also something which is proving a little bit of a challenge at the moment as well. Because with the amount of uncertainty that there is um, at the moment, um, looking long term can be quite difficult, and it's forced the hand of business to be very much reactive and make decisions quite quickly, but also having to make pragmatic decisions as well. And uh, that's also something that's really tested business leaders to the limit at the moment, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, managing, managing those expectations because, you know, the expectation in business has completely gone upside, upside down, um, in, in recent weeks. And, and, and you have to re, readdress that. And I think change management in, in, in all of this is, is very important. Also, you know, another facet of, of, of leadership. Um, you know, we're in a changing situation. Who would have predicted this, you know, in, in, in weeks gone by? Um, you know, none of us. So, so we are where we are. We just have to readdress our expectations and, and, and again, look ahead for a change in circumstance. Exactly. And if we do look at the future now and um, look at the next 12 months going through the COVID-19 pandemic and out of the other side of that, Jonathan, um, what do you envision the next year will hold for yourself and for Marla? And what do you really hope to achieve in that time? Well, I mean, at the moment we're in a, a consolidation phase. We're, we're in a, um, you know, a retain what what we've built. Um, we are working on a restart up strategy. So we're getting ready, um, you know, to look ahead of, of when it comes back to some form of normality. Uh, you know, when restrictions are lifted, when our, our customer bases uh, come back in, in, into office, we're ready. We're ready to adapt. We're ready to go. Of course, there's going to be. Uh, you know, a predicted surge um, of business. We need to be ready for that. You know, we need to be um, ahead of our competitors. They're probably thinking exactly the same as we are. You know, in, in the short term, out of COVID-19, we're, we're getting ready, you know, to, to really um, be prepared. Beyond that, um, from the from the retention, you know, period, we're looking, of course, to aggressively grow again. Um, you know, there's lots of um, initiatives we have 
um, in the pipeline. You know, the electrification and the, and, and the vehicle autonomy is a big driver from our side as we are you know, predominantly about the internal combustion engine. So we've, we've diversified into electrification um, and other cooling and thermal management products. So we're kind of setting ourselves, you know, in the automotive industry, you know, for for various options. Again, um, I would I would conclude that it, it's not one um, strategy, not one leadership. Um, you have to cover all bases that that that, that make you know that are possible and, and economically viable to do so. And it's so important, isn't it, that uh, when planning for the future leaders, remember that it's not just, of course, about them making decisions um, on their own. It's about very much the collective, isn't it? And just as much about those around them as well. Yeah, absolutely. And giving and giving those people the empowerment and the accountability to make those decisions. You know, and again, I revert back to trust, um, you know, and, and, and change um, with those core principles. Marlowe adopts four core leadership principles, and that's lead, lead by example promote empowerment, um, underpinned by trust and change management. And, and, and those four aspects, um, you know, it's, it's what Marla really are, are enforcing, uh, you know, um, in this period and going forward. And I think that's um, a huge food for thought for any business leaders out there. And I think it's very, very sound advice um, to actually stick to those principles as well. Um, I've got to say, Jonathan, um, it's been an absolute pleasure and also uh, really insightful having you on uh, today's programme. And what I think might be um, fantastic for the listeners in the next few months is perhaps having you back on the air to sort of look at this retrospectively and see how some of these things have played out in the months to come. Um, But for now, thank you so, so much for taking the time to come on and speak with me today for the benefit of those listeners you're welcome and thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure having you uh, Jonathan that's wonderful um, coming okay, up next um, on today's programme I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero Sir Jeff Hurst as well as scoring over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City during his career Sir Jeff remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup after his treble at the Old Wembley against West Germany in England's 4-2 victory 54 long years ago I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff, and that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership 
it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most 
powerful influence who, who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at the time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing. In, in the team, but uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of. Thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position, and somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out, 
So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, 
Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when obviously this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's. That has an influence how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could? Identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently, since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was yeah. Well, the, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. 
Um, that's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. The wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is showed, the word is the word is team. Absolutely, and I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, Um, thinking about that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, 
uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, Bruce. Good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go with the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.